and joining me to share his insights is Professor James Petrus. Professor Petrus is the Bartle Professor Emeritus of Sociology at Binghamton University in New York and an expert in America's interference in global politics, especially in Latin America and the Middle East. He has a long commitment to social justice issues and workers' rights and was a member of the Bertrand Russell Tribunal on Repression in Latin America. He is also the recipient of many awards, including the Distinguished Service Award from the American Sociological Association and the Robert Kenney Award for Best Book. He has written over 62 books in 29 languages, over 600 articles in professional journals, and he's published in The Nation, La Mode, The Guardian, The New York Times, and several Latin American publications. One of his newest books is The Arab Revolt and the Imperialist Counterattack, and he has a website, lahane.org slash Petrus. Nice to have you with us again. Thank you, Greg. Um, let us begin by taking a look at some of the concerns I have about FEMA from its past. First, we have 1992 with Hurricane Andrew. In August of 1992, FEMA was widely criticized for its response to Andrew and summed up by the famous exclamation, where in the hell is the cavalry on this one? By Kate Hell, Emergency Management Director for Dade County, Florida. FEMA and the federal government at large were accused of not responding fast enough to house, uh, houses, feed, and, and sustainability of approximately 250,000 people who were left homeless in the affected area. And within five days, the federal government and the neighboring states had dispatched 20,000 National Guard and active duty troops to South Dade County to set up temporary housing. FEMA had previously been criticized for its response to Hurricane Hugo, which hit South Carolina in September of 1989, and many of the same issues had plagued the agency during Hurricane Andrew, which also um, happened in 2000, and then we had 2000, excuse me, in 2005 we had Katrina. So when Hurricane Francis hit South Florida on Labor Day weekend, 9,800 Miami-Dade applicants were approved by FEMA for $21 million in storm claims for new furniture and clothes and thousands of new televisions and microwaves and refrigerators, and uh, but they weren't present. And then, of course, we have Hurricane Katrina. Now, who could forget that? I've been down to the Lower Ninth Ward many times filming there, and almost everything looks identical to it did. You'll see roads you cannot drive down. You'll see abandoned homes by the hundreds, Everything is overgrown. Only one little state uh, street has some rehabilitated homes, but that was mainly because of Habitat for Humanity and not because of FEMA. And Katrina was seen as the first major test of the nation's new disaster response plan under the Department of Homeland Security. And it's widely held that many things did not function as planned. The enormous number of evacuees simply overwhelmed rescue personnel, and the situation was compounded by floodwaters in the city that hampered transportation and poor communication among the federal government, state, and local entities. And FEMA is widely criticized for what is seen as a slow initial response to the disaster and its inability to effectively manage and care for and move those trying to leave the city. So that said, and then we have the Buffalo snowstorm of 2006, we have the 
Dumas, Arkansas tornadoes 2007. Um, we had the California wildfires 2007. So here is my concern, and this is where we'll begin. <clears throat> I would have thought with a full week of warning that FEMA knowing uh, that there was going to be devastation on the Jersey Shore and the entire coastline and inlets in New York, that they could have done five things. They had the resources to demand this. They could have brought emergency generators and put them in the most likely needed places. They did not. They could have brought emergency food wagons that are large and contain a lot of food and water and put them in places most likely to lose power. Not one was there. They could have, uh, they could have requested and hired trucks that are normally available for the Department of Defense with gasoline to have been in the most likely areas to run out of gasoline, not a single truck. They could also have brought, started moving in, in advance, emergency portable shelters. Not one was put in place. So from my perspective, being in Manhattan, going down and sending, taking food and water to the people in lower Manhattan who are without uh, water or food or electricity, and I looked around, I didn't see FEMA. I didn't see a national response that should have been there, could have been there, but was not. And yet they're being praised. And I have to ask, for what? Your thoughts on this, please. Well, Greg, I think the fundamental issue isn't the bureaucracy or incompetence per se of FEMA. That, that's obvious from your account. Uh, it's the lack of political will, both at the municipal, state, and national level. Uh, the fact that FEMA is a, uh, a chronic incompetent organization reflects the fact that all levels of government, they have other priorities. Bloomberg uh, is more concerned with keeping the big investment houses in, in New York City, uh, catering to Wall Street. The same goes with Obama's bailout of uh, Wall Street. Th those were the big priorities. And uh, the private utilities are lackadaisical. They're incapable of, of, of putting the city, turning the lights on again. There's almost 2 million people that have their lights still turned off. Uh, even Cuomo's beginning to whine about the fact that they're taking so long. Uh, there isn't any political leadership. They're chasing uh, uh, al-Qaeda in the mountains of Afghanistan. They'll never catch them. Uh, they're uh, pumping money into these uh, so-called rebels, uh, terrorists in Syria. Um, they're looking for uh, excuses to continue the uh, confrontation with Iran. In other words, uh, it's not homeland security, it's empire security that preoccupies uh, national political leaders. It's not a war against uh, floods. It's, it's building walls on the Mexican border. It's financing Israel's ghetto wall against Palestinians. Well, we don't have barriers uh, facing the uh, ocean front. I mean, w when you see the barriers that, that the, the, the waves came over, uh, they're puny. They're, they're, they're incapable of stopping anything. And the next storm that comes across on Wednesday is going to go over those barriers again. Now, I'm not saying barriers is the solution. 
uh, to all the problems. But that's one example of the lack of consideration. I mean, let me point out that this isn't a question of accidents or uh, ignorance, which is in abundance. New York City uh, panel on climate change, NPCC, set up in 2009, made several recommendations to a climate change adaptation tax task force about the fact that um, a lot of the infrastructure was at low elevations. Bloomberg uh, convoked that commission. The federal government was informed. Nothing was done. So uh, we had the flooding and everything goes out of commission. They said that the flood caused it. No, the flood is an event that takes place from nature. This is a political crisis. This is a political disaster. That is to say, when natural events take place, as they do, hurricanes uh, and, and other forms, rain, storms, etc., it's the fact that we have put people in a vulnerable position. We have drones killing people all over the world, but we don't have drones that can rescue people that are vulnerable, mostly older people. We have data banks spying on 40 million Americans that are under some kind of suspicion, but we don't have a data bank on vulnerable people. So the question is, the priorities on political witch hunts, the, the priorities on building walls overseas, garrisons, uh, $800 billion military budget, uh, $80 billion for Homeland Security. And what do you get for it? Bupkis. All right. Let's, Nothing. Let, let's... You get these disasters. They will repeat themselves because the fundamental political will is not there. And the will to build empire at the cost of the domestic economy is very blatant in this case and should be given the highest attention. I appreciate those insights. By the way, I think, you, uh, I think you're thinking of my engineer, Greg. I'm Gary. So I just wanted to... Uh, yeah, Gary, right. Yeah. That's what uh, I said, isn't it? Close. Uh, I want to break this into two parts now, if you would, please. I've been studying... Uh, the effects of our global warming and other environmental issues for seven years for a major document I'm producing and writing and directing, plus a book that goes with it. So I've interviewed a lot of climatologists, and all of them, without exception, say the same thing. At this time in history, there is no accurate mathematical model that will give us an indication of what we're likely to face in the way of hurricanes, tornadoes, earthquakes, uh, tsunamis, etc., to the contrary, they say we have tipped. In fact, of the 12 tipping points, four have tipped, and there is nothing we can do to reverse that. We must simply adapt and transform to some better understanding that nothing's going to be the way it was. For example, there was over 116,000 records set in the world in the last 12 months, and over 11,000 of those were in the United States. The hottest days, the coldest days, the rainiest days, uh, the the type of weather extremes are now the new norm. Example, last year at this time, we had a hurricane 
That hurricane was not e even a one. It was a tropical storm. Look at the damage it did in Vermont, upstate New York, and around the coastal area of New Jersey. Didn't have the winds, hence you didn't have the same type of destruction, but now you had a one, category one. We know for a fact the following. We know that we were going to have more hurricanes at a higher range of impact. We're going to have a category two and a category three it is inevitable. So I'm saying before you go rebuild these homes, shouldn't you ask, are you building something that it will absolutely get clobbered the next time we have one of these? And why aren't they, we being honest to the American public and certainly those public who've been affected that it is better to relocate these people or give them options to know that we cannot protect them where they're at. You cannot build a barrier wall high enough. And if we doubt this, then why don't we look at the Japanese? The Japanese had a 15-foot wall to 17-foot wall down most of their coastline, one of the most expensive and all-encompassing security walls against the tsunami. But there were coves that got 70-foot high waves, and the waves that hit on the nuclear reactor at Fukushima were over 26 feet. Therefore, the wall was worthless. I'm watching bulldozers push seven-foot-high sand dunes that would be wiped away in under 60 seconds and breached immediately, which was what happened. So, I believe on the one hand, we must finally tell the truth that we are facing solar storms coming that are in a nine-year cycle and nine-year uh, and the uh, the 11-year cycle, which means we're going to have some severe solar storms. That is not in dispute. We're not at all protected. Nothing has been done. We have hurricanes are going to become worse. We have an earthquake that is about in the time range now to happen on the West Coast, in the Pacific Rim. Nothing being done. And on top of that, who is to be in charge of helping if any of these disasters happen? And that is FEMA. So for you, I would like if you would please, what has changed when FEMA fell under the control of Homeland Security, and what is it about FEMA that they are consistently failing in the more serious and threatening situations? And also, the second part of my question is something you alluded to, but we want to go into depth on this, and you're an expert on this. What role does FEMA play in our security surveillance of citizens? You mentioned 40 million Americans are being uh, scrutinized, their activity. There's mail read, their phones listened to. Why? And why is FEMA's role for building detention camps? And why has the media not talked? Not a single member of the media, a major media, has talked about the detention camps. But we know these are being built, have been built, through Halliburton subsidiary KBR. And what is the relationship of FEMA with black ops? We have one actual government document that shows that FEMA's budget was $242 million for disaster relief, but $2.9 billion for black ops. Why is FEMA in the business of getting almost $3 billion for black ops, but don't seem to have enough money to buy water or other things? So if you could address these, and why is FEMA getting money to build walls to stop Mexicans from crossing the borders, but nothing to protect American coastal towns and important cities? And FEMA is spending on drones, as you mentioned, and, but at what expense? I realize that's a lot to tackle, but I think we have to divide it in two sections to keep it, uh, uh, keep it focused so we can understand the issue. 
Well, I think we have to go at the at the most general level that the U.S. policy has been directed mm-hmm. by the idea of of building a a global empire. The whole idea of a global leadership is a euphemism for global empire, and and we should emphasize the fact that the tr- tremendous impetus which has been given to the military aspects of that empire building, which provides no returns, is actually empire building at a cost to the American Treasury. And and the resources that are directed to sustaining and expanding uh, that empire, if you, if you look at the amount that was spent on, on in Afghanistan in a losing war in Iraq, uh, it's it's immense. We're talking about hundreds of billions, if not trillions, of dollars, and and the uh, political orientation that backs that, the fact that the U.S. puts such a tremendous emphasis on pursuing policies against Israel's adversaries, and the and the pro-Israel lobby that operates in the United States, in and out of the government, and in and out of the Congress, that forces us to take on the burdens of Israeli militarism by amplifying American militarism. These are very key issues on why, as the empire grows, the domestic economy deteriorates. And that's been a long-term process. And I think the second part of it is that the tremendous imbalance in the United States economy between a productive sector and and finance capital. Finance capital doesn't care much about infrastructure. They got the stock market up in two weeks, but they still uh, two billion two million uh, uh, New York and New Jersey citizens are without lights. I mean that gives you an idea where the priorities lie. As long as the financial sector can hit their keyboards or whatever, make their transfers, uh, there is no need to take care of the majority of working people in and around New York City. I mean, these islands of wealth and power. I I saw a study of wealth distribution in Manhattan. It's worse than Guatemala. Uh, it's it's amazing the the disparity between the top five percent, which controls eighty percent of the wealth in Manhattan, and the rest of the uh, citizens who are in in a uh, in, in a uh, tremendously unequal relationship. And that explains the fact: who wants to pay the tax, the financial tax that could. Uh, at least provide some protection in the short run for the infrastructure of New York. You talk about relocating people. Yes, that's a good idea. But what are we asking people to give up their current domicile, their their property? And where are they going to move? Property is so expensive to start all over, to relocate Homes means to relocate industries. That means massive public intervention, As come massive pay, but, but. public lending. It means that the diver, diversion of funds from the war machine, from subsidizing financial houses, needs to requires a political will. It's a, it's to protect 
Now it comes down to this, to protect the life, liberty, and property of people living in those vulnerable areas will require something short of a political revolution. While you have the Bloombergs, the Democrats, and the Republicans playing games about cutting FEMA even more than if it's incompetent now, figure out a 15% cut, which is on the table right now, in the so-called budget negotiations. So they're actually moving in the wrong direction. And and uh, their interest is very ephemeral. It's electoral interest. They, Obama goes down, he sheds a few tears. Romney uh, plays the guitar of condolences. And then they run off to hustle votes for their election. And then they're going to get elected. And who are they going to look for. They're going to look for the million-dollar donors who will not have any interest in investing large-scale, long-term public investments in changing the contours of domestic security. The question is, why has domestic security, in every sense of the word, uh, declined? You talk about tornadoes. We used to have tornado shelters. That involves public investment at all levels, municipal, state, and local. Now, tornado hits, houses are destroyed, people are killed, and nobody says, why isn't there any public investment in providing shelters, in providing better warning systems? I think the whole issue has to be taken in the larger sense. We have climate change paid lip service to by some of the liberals, but no follow-up. Climate change, one inch a year, the water is creeping up on New York, according to some serious studies. And people refer to Bloomberg, sets up a committee, etc. Nothing is done. Nothing is done about gases that contaminate this and change the weather patterns. You can say, well, that's a long-term solution. Well, it's long-term, and it'll become even longer-term as long as there isn't a concerted effort at the national level to cut back on those gases that are causing climate change. I would agree with that, and I appreciate those insights. Thank you for that. Would you please address two issues in, in short order? One is... Explain to us what you know about these FEMA camps. What do you know so that we at least have some answers, serious scholarly answers that are within the realm of probability rather than something that is too far afield and therefore loses credibility? Uh, could you? Uh, I, the I'm, FEMA I'm camps. I've been hearing. Could you restate yes. the. Could you tell us about FEMA building the, uh, the detention camps? Well, this is part of this war in the Middle East. Uh, This is part of the struggle uh, stigmatizing the Islamic countries. As a result of that, or part of that campaign, is this so-called war on terror, which is an open-ended attack on any adversary of the U.S., whether they're real, imagined, or faked. And as a result of that war on terror, 
Part of that requires domestic support. In order to get domestic support, you have this tremendous repressive apparatus in the United States, which is involved in profiling Muslims of penetrating and and uh, and and uh, trying to trap uh, poor Muslims into engaging in some illicit activities. And all of this is built on the assumption that if we have a, a fearful or terror-stricken public, we will be able to pursue our overseas wars. Now, this is wearing thin. Part of that program is involves the president engaging in using hit lists like the mafia, terrorist activity. And, and, and an adjunct of that is building camps in the United States, the internment camps, another word, a euphemism for concentration camps. Presumably, it's not just people actually engaging in terrorist activity. We have this guilt by association. Someone who may have expressed sympathy for Islamic causes, or it may be someone who merely defends free speech of Islamic people. They are also this problem of guilt. So you have a wider and wider net, which has been expanded in order to justify a militarist approach overseas. And so overseas expansion leads to domestic authoritarianism, which leads to police state measures, which leads essentially to this idea of building concentration camps and the president assuming the right to assassinate anyone without habeas corpus, without any due process, assassinating American citizens any place on the, in, the, in the world if they're designated as somehow associated with terrorism, an open-ended concept. I know that you had to leave within a half hour. I am very happy that you were on and gave us your insights, and we thank you very much for being with us today. My guest, Professor James Petras, P-E-T-R-A-S, he is quite simply one of the world's leading authorities on human rights and global politics and America's interference in other people's affairs.